0: True Crime South Africa is published in conjunction with Arena Holdings, publishers of Times Live, Business Live, Sowetan Live and others. The opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily represent the views of Arena Holdings and its affiliates. The prison alarm sounds in the distance. He knows they'll soon be on his trail and there's no time to waste. They thought they had him caught for his crimes, but he has no intention of serving out that sentence. Freddie has plans, and he's nowhere near finished killing. This is True Crime South Africa. I'm Nicole Engelbrecht, and you're listening to episode 66, The Limpopo Serial Killer. This episode is sponsored by CBS Justice the home of true crime in South Africa. Watch Unmasking a Killer, a brand new five-part docuseries telling the terrifying real-life story of California's notorious Golden State Killer from Saturday the 11th of December at 8pm on DSTV Channel 170. A huge thank you goes out to CBS Justice for sponsoring this episode of True Crime South Africa. Before we get into today's episode, I'd like to thank our new Patreon supporters. A huge thank you goes out to Sandy, Gareth Pinar, Rukaya Gabir, and Tersha Lowe for your support on Patreon. Thank you so much. Your support really does make a huge difference. If you'd like to support the show on Patreon or PayPal, I'll leave a link in the show notes. There are now additional ways that you can support the show, with two online businesses providing 10% discounts when you use the code TCSA10 at checkout. You can get your health and beauty needs at King Online, and you can get all your printing requirements designed, printed and delivered by Print Crowd. You can also help to support me as an individual creator by checking out the companion podcast I created with Showmax for the Devil's Dorp documentary, or by purchasing the Krugersdorp Cult Killings audiobook, which I narrated, on Audible, Google Playbooks, or Apple Books. As always, any form of support is greatly appreciated, and it doesn't have to be financial. Sharing of episodes, inviting your friends and family to listen, and interacting on social media all go a long way to keeping the show growing and improving. You can also leave a review on the podcast app you use to listen. If your podcast platform does not have that option, a Google or Facebook review is equally helpful. Today's episode focuses on a serial murderer whose crimes stretched over 16 years. He provides the perfect example of why serial offenders of his type are so difficult, some would say impossible, to rehabilitate. His crimes would not follow the pattern we've come to expect from serial killers, but when he was eventually brought to justice, for the second time, his psychopathy would become very clear. So let's get into episode 66, The Limpopo Serial Killer. The following episode may contain sensitive material including descriptions of violence, sexual assault or graphic descriptions of injuries to victims. If you feel you may be triggered by such material, please consider this before accessing our content. To access trauma counselling or services, please see the helpline information on our show notes. Mukosi Freddie Mulaudzi was born in 1962 in Mandala village in Tohoyandu. At that time in history, Tohoyandu fell within the Republic of Venda. And if this sounds familiar to you, That's because I spoke about this when I covered the serial crimes of David Mbengwa in episode 61. In fact, there are quite a few interesting parallels between the life of Mbengwa and Freddie Malauzzi. Not only were they born in the same area, but they were born just four years apart. They would both commit crimes around the same time, but David's murderous rampage would be stopped in its tracks pretty quickly, Freddie's victims would not be so lucky. Freddie and David would also share similar childhoods, characterised by deep poverty and absent fathers. Freddie was predominantly raised by his mother, but we know very little about the rest of his childhood. In later court proceedings, it would be claimed that he'd left school in 1980 after completing grade four but in 1980, he would have been 18 years old, which is maybe a little old to have been in grade 4? The court didn't seem to question this when the evidence was led, but essentially the point behind it was that he hadn't completed his schooling, and it's alleged that he had to leave school for financial reasons, which honestly is probably very true. At that time in South Africa, There were very few resources for black South Africans to attend and complete school. This would become part of the systemic promotion of poverty in these communities, which would have serious ramifications throughout many generations to come. Freddie's criminal career started in 1985 with a petty theft. He was arrested and convicted and given a fine of 120 rand, or four months in prison. Very soon after this, his crimes escalated quickly, and five years later, Freddie would be back in court, this time on 20 different counts, including robbery and murder. Freddie's victims during this time are not named anywhere, but we know that during the course of two robberies, he took the lives of two innocent victims. The court dealt with Freddie accordingly in 1991 and he was handed down two life sentences. When the term serial killer was first being used in the 1980s, the generally agreed upon definition was that the offender had to have killed four or more people. Throughout the years, this number of victims would be reduced to three and then to two. The reason for this reduction was that criminologists started to realize that it wasn't necessarily the number of victims that was important in identifying a serial offender. It was their behavior and their motives. By broadening the scope of the serial killer definition, authorities across the world were better able to deal with offenders of this nature they could allocate more resources earlier on in investigations, and they could sentence offenders in a way that protected society for longer. A good example of this is the Shanae van Heerden conviction. Shanae and her boyfriend, of course, were convicted of the horrendous murder of Michael Fanek, and despite them having committed a single murder, psychologists that testified at van Heerden's trial Stated that she had all the hallmarks of a possible serial offender. By proving this, they were able to have Van Heerden classed as a dangerous offender under South African law, and she will therefore have a much more difficult time getting out on parole. Although murders in the course of robberies would not generally be considered serial killer type crimes, In the same way that gang murderers, for instance, aren't considered serial killers, we don't actually know enough about Freddy's initial two murders to say that he did not already hold all the characteristics of a serial killer. In fact, considering his later actions, it's very likely that they did. The sentence handed down to the man would have protected society from him for a very long time. In 1991, he was remanded to Baviansport Prison in Pretoria to start serving his sentence. This should have been the end of Freddy Maladzi's criminal story. He should have served his two life sentences, and society should have been safe from him. But if you're looking at the timestamp on this episode, then you know that's not the end of Freddy's story. Not even close. After serving just five years of his sentence, in 1996, Freddy Muladzi escaped from Bavian's Port prison. And this is where it all gets a bit hazy, because although a manhunt was launched for Freddy, he seemed to disappear off the face of the earth. Between 1996 and 2004, eight years, We have no idea where Freddy Maladzi was. The narrative that would later be presented in court was that he hadn't committed any crimes during that period. I find this extremely hard to believe. He'd already killed two people, and now he's on the run, with no source of income. He can't immediately go back to his family in Limpopo, because that's the first place police will look but he fades into obscurity? I don't know so much about that. Although Freddie Malazzi would be called the Limpopo serial killer, I think there's a very good chance that there are other crimes he committed that were never linked to him. In 1996 in South Africa, there were at least five serial killers operating simultaneously. Among those were Stuart Wilkin... Cedric Marquet, Sipo Twala and David Mbengua. Oh, and just an FYI, Cedric Marque was also from Tohoiandu. The infamous Moses Satoli had only just been caught when Freddie escaped. With so many killers operating at the same time, I don't think it would have been difficult for Freddie to literally get away with murder. In 2004, though, Freddy Mulazi returned to his home province of Limpopo. Perhaps he thought that the coast would be clear by now, or perhaps he was just ready to start wreaking havoc again in the place he knew well. Also at this time, Freddy met and married Takalani, Florence, Netengua, and they would have a child together. We often see serial killers being triggered by events in their own lives and I wonder if the combination of his return to Limpopo, his marriage and the birth of his child were all triggers for Freddie Malazzi because in the middle of 2004 he began a rampage of terror. I will warn you that some of the crimes I'm about to discuss do involve the murder of children. In June 2004, Freddie broke into a house in Limpopo. He stole a few items and moved on. On the 29th of June 2004, he attempted to kill Margaret Nembudani. Three months later, in September, he broke into another home. Those residents were thankfully not home at the time. In the same month, Freddie committed his first recorded rape. I say recorded because I have no doubt at all that he did not commit his first rape at the age of 42. Soon after, he assaulted and attempted to kill Lufuno Mogondo and her sister's widow. In November 2004, he broke into a home in Limpopo and attempted to murder the occupant. Then, Freddie goes quiet for six months. Or at least, there are no crimes on record for him during this period. On the 2nd of June 2005, he breaks into the home of Jeanette and Marvel Dahmer. He murders both victims before robbing them. On the 4th of June 2005, he assaults and attempts to kill an unnamed victim. On the same day, he attacks a police officer, Joseph Morganono and robs him of his firearm. The gun was never recovered. On the 20th of August 2005, Freddy breaks into the home of Maria and Dacolo Munyai. He murders Maria and attempts to kill Dacolo. After this crime, Freddy seems to go into a lull again. For almost exactly a year, there are no crimes recorded for him. And then... On the 4th of August 2006, Freddy Mouladzi commits one of his most heinous crimes to date. He breaks into the home of a single mother, Fofi Radzilani. He rapes the woman before stabbing her to death, and then before leaving, he sets fire to the bedroom he's killed her in. Her children, seven-year-old Rotondwa and five-year-old Moses, die in the blaze. I have to wonder whether this major crime after such a long break in killing is a coincidence. We don't know where Freddy was for that year, or what he was doing, but it seems clear that the pressure was building up inside of him, and he unleashed it that night. And after this, he seems to go into a frenzy again. Just two weeks later, he breaks into the home of the Guana family, He rapes and hacks to death 19-year-old Winiki Shimandila and proceeds to kill her three young cousins, aged 14, 10 and 7. At this point, police in Limpopo are working with the investigative profiling unit to track the killer they know is in their midst. Detective Tyson Tangeni's life has taken a very different route to Freddy's. Although the men were similar in age, in the 1980s, when Freddie was starting his criminal career, Tyson was starting his policing career. He, along with other detectives who were now on Freddie Mulazzi's trail, would always remember his crimes as some of the most horrendous they'd ever seen. Freddie's final crime would display just how deeply he had begun to unravel. Shonisani Tinandava was heavily pregnant when he attacked her in August of 2006. When her body was discovered, she had been severely mutilated. Freddie had removed the woman's breast, her right hand, her left ear, and part of her lip. It is unknown whether these injuries were inflicted on the woman pre- or post-mortem. Detective Tyson Tangeni knew who he was looking for. Although the method of killing and the murders had been very different, a few clues pointed to these crimes having been the work of a serial offender. Freddy's crimes were almost always started as home invasions. He would break into houses while the family slept, and from the scenes of the crimes, it became clear that the intended victims and the focus of his worst violence was always the women. In the cases in which children had been killed or male partners had been attacked, the level of violence against those victims was different. They were, to Freddie, collateral damage. Eyewitness accounts had led police to the knowledge that the man they sought in these crimes was Freddy Mulazzi, the convicted murderer who'd been on the run at that point for a decade. Freddy was arrested a few days after his last horrific murder in a raid on his family's business premises. He was found hiding, like the coward he was, in an unused fridge. On searching his home, police found a mound of stolen property from the homes of his victims. These items would serve to tie him to additional crimes. As a result of these discoveries, police also arrested his wife and two of his friends for possession of stolen property. When news of Freddy's arrest emerged in the media, the son of his last victim, Shonesani Tindaveh, came forward and said he believed police had the wrong man. He said he was sure that his father had in fact killed his mother and that he'd removed her body parts for mootsy purposes. Shonisani's husband was in fact arrested in connection with the murder immediately after her body was found, but DNA found on the scene proved that the man had not committed the crime. Instead, that same DNA evidence would inextricably link Freddy Mulazzi to the horrific murder. Freddy Mulladzi would never admit to any of his crimes. His time in court would be filled with ridiculous scenes created by the man. On his first appearance, he grabbed his toddler son from the child's mother and threatened to lay on the ground with the child and sleep throughout the court proceedings unless they released his wife. During his next appearance, he asked the judge whether he may be permitted to ask a question. When the judge granted him permission, he asked whether police officers were allowed to offer bribes to defendants in order to have them plead guilty. Freddie went on to claim that officers in his case had offered him 100,000 rand and phone cards in prison to plead guilty. Now, firstly... I don't know where these officers would allegedly even be getting a hundred thousand ran from. Secondly, how would him pleading guilty benefit these police officers? Sure. They would be congratulated for a good investigation and conviction, but it's not like they'd be getting any monetary reward for his conviction. So it makes no sense that he would be offered that thirdly. These cops didn't need him to be guilty of these crimes. Yes, they would have wanted justice for the victims, but Freddie wasn't going anywhere, regardless of whether he was convicted of this new string of crimes or not. The minute he was arrested, he went back to serving the first two life sentences he'd initially run away from, so he wasn't going anywhere whether he pleaded guilty to the new crimes or not. As more and more crimes were connected to Freddy after his arrest, almost every time he appeared in court, additional charges were added to his sheet. Freddie would eventually agree to plead guilty to some of the lesser charges. He refused to accept guilt for any of the murders or rapes, though. The trial against Freddy Maladzi was not cut and dry although it was relatively easy to tie him to the crimes where the police had found stolen items from those scenes in his home. There was very little other physical evidence. The fact that the crimes almost exclusively happened at night also meant that there were very few witness accounts to tie him to the murders. In 2008, though, Mulazi would be found guilty of all 28 charges against him including 11 murders. He was handed down 11 life sentences, plus an additional 200 years imprisonment for the other charges. But here's the interesting bit. Because Miladze already had two life sentences for the murders committed in 1990, and those crimes were not linked to this series, the judge ruled that the sentences would not be served concurrently. Freddie would have to serve his first two life sentences, and if at any point he became eligible for parole, then his other 11 life sentences would begin. Freddie Malazzi was sentenced when he was 46 years old. He will not leave prison alive. Of course, his first victims had thought that too and this is a point that the second set of victims, family members, and surviving victims also brought up after sentencing. If he could escape once, what were the chances he could do it again? Well, unfortunately, that's not something that can be guaranteed, and we have seen other serial offenders escape from jail in the past. Thankfully, as at 2021, Freddie is still in jail. He's 59 years old and continues to serve the first of his life sentences. Because we know so little about Freddie, it's difficult to tell where his murderous motive started. He refused to speak with police officers and psychologists, and indeed he denies that he even committed these crimes, so we have no idea at all what was going through his head. I do wonder if it's really a coincidence, though, That so many of the worst serial killers our country has ever seen were born in the 1960s in Tohoyandu and surrounding areas. Was it perhaps something about the systemic failures that occurred during that and the following decades that impacted the lives of these young men, resulting in their horrific crimes later in life? Or were they just born to kill? Mukazi Freddy Mulazzi killed at least 13 people, and I for one believe that number is much higher. The viciousness of his crimes increased with each murder, and he had no problem killing a heavily pregnant woman and even young children in the most horrific of ways. I can only hope that he really never does see the light of day again. Jeanette Dama, Marvel Dama, Naria Munyai, Fofi Radzilani, Moses Mushiani, Shumani Mushiani, Lavlesani Sivungwana, Shumani Sivungwana, Nyadzani Sivungwana, Winiki Shimandela, Shonisani Tinandava, and the two unnamed victims. Rest gently. Thank you for listening to episode 66, The Limpopo Serial Killer. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to subscribe to the show on the app you're using to listen right now. You can also follow us on social media. We're on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. I'll be back next Friday with another episode. Until then, as always, thank you for your support and I'll chat to you soon.